Father, we thank you for your mercies and your goodness in all of our lives. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, as, you, as we open up your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, would lead us, guide us, enlighten our hearts. Lord, help us to receive what you have for us. Lord, do the work of transformation in our lives as only you can. Father, we surrender our hearts, we surrender our minds in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Uh, this morning, we're back in the book of Genesis. We, are, uh, we've been, we started a, the series called The Unstoppable Blessing. We've been looking at the life of Jacob. Uh, last year, if you were with us, you know we did, we did this, a series through the book of Abraham. And if you haven't checked that out, Take some time to listen through those sermons because uh, part of what I'm going to talk about today, we talked about in, the, in that series as well. The life and the blessing that God gave to Abraham is the blessing that God gives to Isaac. And today we'll see how that blessing continues. And we've titled it The Unstoppable Blessing because of this fact. Jacob's life, I personally love Jacob's life because I realized that you can mess up as much as Jacob has, and still God can bless you, and still God can use you, and still God can continue his blessing, and that the blessing that God has determined for you is unstoppable. And there are circumstances in each of our lives that will come up that make us question, saying, is this it? Is this what's going to break me? Is this what's going to break our relationship? And scripture reminds us, that his blessing is unstoppable. Before we jump in, I have a quick question for you. How do you deal with the unexpected things in life? And when I say unexpected, things that uh, you had no idea were coming or something that you did not pay attention to and suddenly you're caught up in, or maybe something that you didn't plan for and suddenly uh, maybe, maybe a tree fell in the backyard and broke your fence and now you had to fix your fence. Or maybe it's a job that you had and you've loved this job for many years and suddenly the economy turns and now you don't have a job anymore and you're having to deal with that. Or maybe something even more even more drastic, like a loved one getting a bad diagnosis or yourself. And how do you deal with the unexpected? When life, most of us, if not all of us, like it when things are certain. We like it when we know what to expect. We like it when we know we have a plan and things are going well. We like it that way. But what happens and how do you deal with life when it becomes uncertain? Now, for some of us, these things are out of our control. For example, the economy turning. Not a lot of us have control over that, and suddenly we're caught up in it. Our 401ks tank or our investments are suddenly disappearing, all of these things. And those we don't have a lot of control over. But some we do. Some we have control over, we may, it's a product of our choices. Maybe it's a, it's a lack of integrity in our job, or maybe it's a, it's a thing that we said to our spouse and now we're suddenly feeling the, the wrath or we're feeling the consequences or we're dealing with the pain of whatever that situation is. And suddenly you're having to deal with the unexpected. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with life when it becomes uncertain? 
A few years ago, uh, this is back in 2006, my church back in Atlanta, we were, our team, we were leading a trip to Trinidad and Tobago, and it was a mission trip, and it was an exciting trip. We had, we had planned for this for a while, and I was helping to plan and put all the travel arrangements together, and the big day came. We all, um, uh, we all were at the airport. Everyone was there on time. We had all our documents. Now, one thing you know about me, and it's not something Jen enjoys as much, is that I'd like to have everything ready, as in every document, every passport, everything's checked, double-checked, triple-checked. If they give me 24 hours to check into the flight, I'm checking in at 23.59, right? I'm on my app ready to go. I just want to make sure everything's ready because I don't like surprises. I don't like the unexpected. I don't like uncertain. So our team, we're ready, and there's about 10 of us, we're getting ready to board our flight, we're at the check-in counter, Delta is checking us in, everything is going smoothly until it wasn't. So our flight is from Atlanta to New York, then down to Trinidad. Trinidad. And so uh, our team gets to the counter, they check our passports, each one, they pass each one, and they say, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. They get to me, and there's a problem. The gentleman at the counter looks at my passport, which was still an Indian passport at that time, and he says, sir, your passport's expired. And here I am leading a trip and made sure everyone's passports were great. Now here's the mistake I made. These, this is what I lived through. Now everyone in the world, except for the US, here's how we write our dates. They month, year. How do we write it here? We write month, day, year. So the trip is in June. My passport says 2-9-2006. And so I read it at, no, actually the other way, 9-2-2006. So I read it as, great, I have till September 2nd of 2006 to renew my passport. I'll be back the second week of June, plenty of time. I get to the counter and the, ca and the guy goes, you should know better. It says February 9th, 2006. Now, I still made the trip. It was very unexpected. It was very uncertain. I had to go to New York and do all of the things, renew my passport, send the team ahead, and all of that. But for me, in the moment, life had gone from certain to uncertain in the matter of a second. Now, if you have passports that are outside of the US, I'd recommend checking those dates. <laughs> but save yourself some heartache. But what happens when life goes from certain to uncertain? whether it's your own doing or not, whether it's been inflicted on you or somehow you brought it on yourself. How do you deal with the uncertain? Today we're gonna deal with someone who is dealing with that. And in his case, we could make the argument that a lot of what he was facing was his fault. We've been, talking about the, we've been talking about Jacob for the last couple of, couple of weeks, and we know, we read the origin story of where Jacob's come, Jacob's come, comes from. We know the story of Abraham. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. 
And now Jacob and Esau, Jacob is a child of promise. Before he was born, God promises his parents, saying, through this child will the nations be blessed. Through this child will the nation come out. Through this child, the inhabitants and the, the land, and there's a blessing upon this child. And I'm sure that mother, Rebecca, reminded him over and over. The scripture reminds us that she favored him over Esau, and Jacob favored Esau over Jacob, and, or Isaac favored Esau. And so there's all these dynamics. And last week we heard a little bit about how those dynamics took full force, where there was a lot of lying and cheating and deception. There was, there was to a point where one is plotting the murder of another. The, Esau is cheated out of his inheritance. He's cheated out of his blessing. And now he's come to his wit's end and he says, it's just a matter of time before my, when my dad passes, when my father goes on, then I will kill my brother. We've come to this dark moment in this family's story. Rebecca, hearing this and understanding this, she tells her husband, and her husband, Isaac, sends Jacob away. Here's what we read in Genesis chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 28. Isaac is telling Jacob, Arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Isaac is blessing Jacob with this final blessing before he sends him away. Officially, Jacob is on the run now. There's his brother is intent on killing him, on destroying him, because his Jacob had cheated all of his blessing, all of his inheritance away. Now, this journey from Beersheba, where, where they live, to where Haran is, it's about 500 miles. Imagine if you were to walk from Burlington, Mass., to Washington, D.C. That's a long trip. Jacob is having to make this walk or this, uh, this journey. It's a journey full of uncertainty. It's a f journey full of fear. It's a journey that was precipitated by the fact that what was certain in his life suddenly became uncertain. The blessings and the luxuries and the joys that he enjoyed in his father's home suddenly by his actions are taken away from him. Now he's running. He's running for his life. And on, in the back of his mind, he has all these questions. What does my future hold? When I get to Haran, will my, will my uncle even receive me? Will I be received with kindness? Will I ever make it back home? Will I ever see my family again? Actually, one of his fears was realized because he never got to see his mother again. Will his brother ever forgive him? Or in the least, at least stop chasing him? A life on the run is not easy. If you've ever had that circumstance, you know what it feels like. 
when you're running from your past, when you're running out of guilt or running away from failures, you're always looking over your shoulder to see if they're catching up to you. It's not easy. Life on the run is deeply uncertain. It's a place where God feels very distant. I wonder if any of us have experienced something like that. You see, this is the situation where Jacob is in. But here's a clue. Here's something that scripture is going to remind us of. We know who he is. He's a cheat. He's a liar. He's a manipulator. He is selfish. He is greedy. He's lost his family. He's walking away. He had to walk away from his inheritance. And all of, worst of all, it looks like the person of promise, the child of promise has messed up God's plan. When God said, through you, this blessing will come. Through you, this land will be blessed. Through you, the people of the world, people of the, the, the world will be blessed, suddenly is running for his life without, without a wife, without children, seemingly into a future that is dangerous, into a place that is dangerous, into a place where he has no expectation of safety. From what he thought was a guaranteed blessing, he's thrust into complete uncertainty. How do you deal with uncertainty? We're not comfortable with it, right? As a matter of fact, there was this experiment that was done. It's a Dutch experiment where researchers told one group of people that they would receive 20 electric shocks. Not crazy, but just 20 shocks, and these would be strong. The researchers then told a second group that they would only receive three strong shocks along with 17 mild ones. But they wouldn't know when those strong shocks were coming. The results, subjects in the second group were sweaty and they were, they were experiencing faster heart rates and they were uncomfortable, they were fearful. They realize is just the uncertainty of that experiment made them, um, made them uncomfortable. Now, life is not like electric shocks, but to a certain degree, it can be. We're uncomfortable with it. So what do you do in seasons of uncertainty? How do you handle it? Where does God fit in in those moments? For some of us, God plays the ultimate role, he directs everything, but for some of us, he plays a lesser role. Because we're comfortable, we want to stay in control, especially when things go haywire, we want to maintain as much control, and so we say, God, well, I'm gonna do this. Or for some of us, God becomes a lucky charm we have in our pocket, hoping for good luck. More often than not, we're just trying to squeeze, or we're, we have a plan and we say, God, I wonder where you fit in this. Jacob, scripture reminds us he's running. And he gets to this one evening, and in chapter 28, we see him. He's exhausted, he's downcast, and he settles for the night. You know things are bad when Jacob takes a, a stone as a pillow. He has a pillow, he has a stone for a pillow. 
That's how uncomfortable he was. You know he's running light. You know he's running for his life when he can't even pack a pillow. And in that uncomfortable, in that, in that state, Scripture reminds us, this is where Jacob encounters God. When life is uncertain, God's grace meets us where we are. When life is uncertain, God's grace meets us where we are. Let's read Genesis 28, verses 12 and 13. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to the heavens. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. So here's Jacob on the run. Having messed up his life, having broken everything, having, living in absolute brokenness, he finally gets to a point where he's exhausted, he just wants to settle in for the night, and as he is sleeping, he has a dream. A couple of things that we ought to pay attention to here. John Walton, uh, Old Testament scholar, he, he writes about this moment this way. There's a difference between, in, in the Old Testament, between dreams and visions. Now stay with me, track with me. People had both. Visions were usually reserved for those who knew God. Abraham had visions, and the prophets had visions, and all, all of these people had visions because they had an experience with God. Dreams were usually reserved for people who didn't have an experience with God, who did not know God, and it's usually through this dream that they would have an experience with him, or they would encounter him. Guess where Jacob fits in? Jacob fits in that latter category. Essentially what... What the writer is telling us is this. Yes, Jacob is part of the family, Abraham and Isaac, the family of the promise, the patriarchs. He grew up in this. He grew up hearing of Abraham's experiences with God. He grew up hearing Isaac's experiences with God. But what he did not have was an experience of God himself. Was essentially what he's being treated as is someone who is foreign to this whole experience. He knows of God as the God of his ancestors, but not a God of Jacob. Second, there's another thing that we ought to know about Jacob and, and the ancient Near East during that time, um, the cultures of that time. They had what we would call ziggurats. And there's a picture of a cigarette. Cigarette is essentially this structure that they would create where it was it created in a way to have access to God and for God, their gods to have access to man. Essentially, they would create this with this ladder or this stairway all the, going all the way to the top and they would worship their gods and this was, was creating an access point for their gods to come and deal with their lives. So Jacob has an understanding of what the culture is like. So what God is doing in this moment, in this dream, is God is using or God is speaking Jacob's language. God is taking a concept that he already knows, as misguided as it is, and he uses that to meet him where he is. And he says, well, let me show you this. And he shows this image of a ladder that is with its feet on the ground and its top in the heavens with angels ascending and descending. 
doing their business here on earth and their business up in heaven. And at the top of the ladder is God Almighty himself. And that's the dream that Jacob sees. All this to say, God meets us where we are. Jacob was a baby believer, if anything. He had, while he grew up in, in, in the family, he had no experiences with God. And God meets him there. God starts him off at the right spot. He has understandings of the culture around him, and that's where God meets him. As misguided as it is, God is saying, let's start here. See, in the midst of his mess, in the midst of his brokenness, that's where God meets him. He with a rock for a pillow, he was at his lowest point. One would say he hit rock bottom. <laughs> and in this point, God meets him. And it, at this point, God speaks to him. Well, the dream doesn't, it's not done yet. Because here's where God starts to speak. And God speaks in verses 13 on. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, <clears throat> I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. The offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God was reassuring a broken Jacob. The unconditional promises that he gave to Abraham, the unconditional promise of I will bless you with no effort of your own, I will bless you, I will establish you, uh, the nations of the world will be blessed through you, your children shall inherit this land. The promise, the promise that seemed like it had stopped with Isaac because of who Jacob was. God is bringing back and he's saying, Jacob, it's for you. When life is uncertain, God's grace is certain. When life is uncertain, God's grace, his presence, his work is certain. What he is essentially telling Jacob is this, I know you're not worthy of it. You have done nothing to earn it. Instead, as a matter of fact, you've done everything to the opposite. You've destroyed essentially your family. You've, you've lied and you've cheated your way into a blessing when it was not yours. And he's saying, all of this you have done, but yet through eyes of grace, I will see you. I will bless you still. I will be your God. I will direct you. I will establish you. And one day I will bring you back. And it's important because this was the land of promise and the child of promise is running away from it. And it seems like, hey, if Jacob's leaving the land of promise, then the promise is dead. The promise is, is incomplete. And yet God says, no, that story doesn't end yet because I'm going to bring you back. And as you come back, you will be blessed. You will come back as a nation of peoples. 
what seems to be broken, God is saying, I'm not done yet. See, the messes we've made or the ones we'll make are not beyond God's grace. The uncertainty and the unbrokenness in our lives is no match for the certainty of his grace. Romans 3, 23 and 34, this is what it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, you've messed it up. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you have rebelled. Yes, you were enemies. And yet God, through his mercy, has redeemed you and me. Every last one of us has sinned. We have fallen short. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. What's the uncertainty in your life right now? What's the pain that you're experiencing? What's the sin that you're dealing with? What's the, what's the brokenness that you're experiencing right now? Because no matter what that brokenness is, we serve a God who can take it, who can transform it into good for his namesake, for his glory, because of our trust in him. Are you in a messy situation? God's grace is enough. Be reminded that it is grace that brought you here and it is grace that will take you home. Jacob only knew God as the God of his father and of his grandfather. Yahweh was the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. Yet you don't see a relationship that Jacob has with God. Just because he grew up in the family, there was no relationship by osmosis. It didn't just happen. The blessing that was given to his grandfather was passed down to his father, and now God's saying, it's yours. However, see, the blessing is not merely about land or possessions or his descendants. Yes, all of that is there and it is important. But there is an important piece of it that we ought not to miss out on. Here's what it says. I am with you and will watch you wherever you go. I will bring you back. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. There's a deeply personal aspect of this promise that Jacob is experiencing. See, when life is uncertain, God gets personal. God's grace gets personal. Because God is not so much concerned about the ease of life or the luxuries of life or the, that everything goes well as he is concerned about his relationship with you. He's concerned about your, you and I being in relationship with him, being in a right relationship with him. What God is doing is introducing Jacob to the work that he had already been doing of watching and protecting and establishing and doing all this. And now he is revealing to Jacob, saying, this is what's happening. There's a statement that we, or there's a question that we often ask in the church. And this is it. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? That seems like a weird thing to say. A 
personal relationship with Christ. And it's not something that's asked in any other religion. But do you have a personal relationship? Do you have a personal experience with God himself? You see, there's Jacob knew of God, but didn't know God. What God is calling him to is to know him intimately, is to know him experientially, is to know him personally. God is calling us to do the same here this morning. Yes, you've lived in a family that knows God. Or yes, you've attended Mount Hope or you've attended a church for the last decade or so. But that's not in question here. The question is, do you know him personally? Have you experienced his salvation? Have you experienced his redemption? Have you experienced his transformation? Have you experienced Jesus for, him, for yourself? Jacob responds to this dream. It's a twofold response. Let's take a look. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? There's none, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He call, called that name, called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And the stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all of that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Jacob wakes up from his sleep, from his, from his dream, and he takes that stone of a pillow and he converts it to a pillar and he makes it an altar. He pours out an offering of oil on it and he worships God presumably for the first time. Presumably for the first time convicted of what he was doing. Understanding of understanding who God was, and for the first time, perhaps personally experiencing God. I had no idea that he, you could find me here, is, is what he's saying. In my pain, in my brokenness, I had no idea that you were here, and yet here you are. Jacob's story reminds us that in, in your chaos, it may feel like God is distant and possibly the last thing you expect, but God is there. God is in it. He's here. He's always been here. How awesome is this place, he says. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. The house of God and the gate of heaven encompasses all of creation for us as believers or for us as those who trust in Jesus. The, the house of God is us itself. God is everywhere. God is here. God is in your, in your workplace. God is in your car. God is in your home. God is there where you are. His presence is with you 
this scripture reminds us. See, Jacob has two responses I, I mentioned. First, he worships God, but the second is a little different. The second in them, he makes a vow. And he says, if God will be with me, and if God will do all of these things, if God will bless me, if God will feed me, if God will protect me, if God will bring me back to my father's house, if God will do all of those things, then God will be my God. And then if he does all that, and if he's my God, then I will give him a tenth of what I own. It's essentially like Judah, our three-year-old, saying, if my father or if this man will buy me my toys, will buy me my Lego set, will buy me my magnetiles, and if he lets me play with it, and if he makes sure that I'm fed, and if he makes sure that all of these things are done, then he will be my father. <laughs> and perhaps I'll give him a tenth of what I own. It seems absurd, but that's essentially what he's saying. It's not a statement of faith. But here's where we are. Jacob is still the same liar and the cheat and the broken man that he is. He is essentially a work in progress. One would ex expect that he's had this incredible experience with God where God himself reveals to him who he is. He reveals the angels working. He does all of that and that his life would be instantly changed. But what scripture is going to remind us over and over is that Jacob is a broken man, that he is a sinful man, and that his whole life will be an act of transformation. That it would take a lifetime for him to get to where God wants him to be. And what that ought to be is comfort for you and me that we're not going to be perfect today or tomorrow. But that instead it's going to take us a lifetime of God revealing, God pruning, of God fixing, of God correcting, of God leading, of God moving, of God doing his work as only he can to get us to the place where he wants us to go. You see, when life is uncertain, God's grace begins the work of transformation. In Jacob's life, God began that work then. Yes, it started with worship, but eventually it would take over his whole life. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. This is what God does for Jacob, but what does God want to do with you? How do we get to the place where, as I talked, as I mentioned a moment ago, where God wants us to be? How do we get there? How do we get to a place where God doesn't count our sins against us? How do we get to a place in this process? How do, how do we do that? Bethel, the place where Jacob experiences God, has this dream about God, is about 12 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, a few thousand years later, someone would walk those streets, Jesus himself. And Jesus, as he's walking those streets and he's walking through the town, he would encounter a man named Nathaniel. And in the book of John, John chapter 1, we read this whole encounter between Jesus and Nathaniel. 
Nathanael would go on to become one of Jesus' disciples. But here's the encounter. So Jesus sees Nathanael far off, and he's, he, he invite, or he's invited, and he has this whole conversation with Jesus. And this is what it says. Then the, the, John chapter 1, 49 through 51. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. There's more context. I would, re- I would recommend that you read this passage. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I'm sure you're, you're making this connection between Nathaniel and Jacob, or this conversa- conversation that Jesus is having with Nathaniel and the dream that Jacob had. What Jacob saw in that dream where heaven and earth were joined together, open to each other, it was a sign pointing to Jesus. What Jesus would do was to become the staircase himself. Because what he's saying is, Nathaniel, if you look, you will see the angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man himself. You see, those structures that we saw the pictures of, they were designed so that man would have access to their gods and gods would have access to man. What God is saying, yes, is this, that our relationship was broken, that we had this gulf between us that no one could cross, and no matter how many sacrifices, no matter how much work was done, that gulf could never be completely bridged. But what was needed was for Jesus himself to come, for Jesus himself to bridge that gap, for Jesus himself to become the ladder between heaven and earth, earth, between God and man. Jesus describes himself this way in John chapter 10. I am the gate, and whoever enters through the gate will will be saved. Access to God, access to the Father is through Jesus and Jesus alone. This morning as we close, here's my question to you. Have you accessed God through Jesus? Do you have a personal experience with Jesus? See, it's one thing to grow up in it. It's one thing to be surrounded by it. It's one thing to attend. It's one thing to live in a way. But it's another totally to be convicted, to be immersed, to be a part of it, to experience it for yourself. And the question for us to deal with today is this. Do you know Jesus? And do you know him personally? Has he come into your life and has he taken over your life? Has he, has he put his fingerprints all over your life? Have you allowed him that? If you haven't, the invitation is today. The invitation to experience Jesus for yourself. And I hope that before you leave that you don't rush out, but instead you consider for yourself as Jacob had to. 
who God is. You see, in that moment, what God was telling Jacob is this. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. And from now on, I'm the God of Jacob. And all throughout scripture, when God refers to him as the God of, God refers to himself as the God of the patriarchs, what he's saying is, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. Yes, you know him as the God of your parents or the God of your brother or your sister or the God of pastors or the God of this people who, who attend here. But do you know him as the God of you? Have you experienced that? That's my prayer. That's our prayer today for each of us, that we would all have an experience with God in that way. So as we close, I'm going to invite you to take a moment to consider that. And if you haven't, and if you would like to have that experience, I would invite you to throw your hands up. Put your hands up, and we would love to pray for you. I'd love to pray before we close that you would have an experience with God. Come see one of the pastors. Come talk to one of us. We would love to walk you down that path as you experience God for the first time. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for who you are and how you work through the through scriptures, through the, our patriarchs, through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And thank you for their stories that remind us of your presence in your, un, even in the midst of our, our, our uncertainty, your certainty. Thank you, God, that your work, your grace, your presence, your goodness is certain at all times. And thank you that we have access to it through Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for every person in this room that we all have that experience with you, that we experience the salvation that you have freely given us, that we surrender our hearts, and any one of us who may not know it, I pray that you would do your work in us as only you can. We ask this in Jesus' name.